watch. We have something big to talk about. Just like last week, we've been going. We've been doing a bond, a bond fest. I guess you would call it. I don't know if that's the right, the right word. But uh, the assignment, the homework for last week for our listeners was to watch from Russia with love, John Gruber's favorite Bond film. Yep, made in nineteen sixty three. We've got a we've got a lot to talk about uh, because the first thing that I want to do is I want to find out what I mean, I, I I like this movie. So for the record, this is this is a good movie. It's certainly it's not it's not my favorite Bond movie, right? Uh, at all. Um, and I'm curious. I was the whole time I was watching it. I enjoyed watching it. Really did enjoy watching it. But I'm not. I couldn't quite put my finger on why. Why is this your favorite movie? Do you want to just come out and say it, or are you going to make me work for it? I, I, well, one thing is I've already gone through all of them in order. I yeah. did that last summer, yeah, and, and I'm enjoying doing it again. But I think it really only came out as my favorite after having watched them all. And one of the things watching them all, and if we keep going with this, I think you know it's, it's going to be like a recurring theme in my comments, is that I enjoy the first half of Bond movies more than the second half on average by far because the first half is always often about like details and uh, setting uh, the stage yeah and yeah setting things up and it's it's the little things and then the second half is where it's the more the the stunt sequences and the action Uh, whereas like as a kid I think it was the opposite, where I liked the second half. And sometimes like a new Bond movie would come out or I'd see one I hadn't seen before and I would think, man, what, what, get, get to the good stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, this beginning is so slow. Right, get to the speedboats, you know? <laughs> uh, I, and now that now I'm an adult, I like the, the, the other stuff better. And well, to this me, movie had a lot of that. Well, yeah, and to me, From Russia With Love is the one where it's almost the whole movie is like the first half of a typical Bond movie. There is no plot to destroy the earth. Right. There is no mastermind criminal with an underground cavern, you know, a, 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 a secret base with a rocket ship in a volcano. <laughs> right. Uh, it, is, it, it is much more of a simple setup. They want right. they want the the lector. That's kind it's of it. Just, right. It's it's a total. It's it's you know. It's like a it's a pure MacGuffin movie. There's there's the lector, which is a, a Russian uh, uh, decoding machine, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's why I like it more. I I to me it's it is it's about the characters and the spying and and the, the cockamamie uh, action stuff wears on me in a lot of the 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 other ones. I can see and that. And I just I love – and there's little things too. Like uh, I just love – I think it's maybe my favorite uh, stuff in the whole series, the on-location stuff in Istanbul where they're just – you know, you could just see that they were actually in Istanbul in 1962 right. with the camera. Like this is what it looked like. You know, it just – it's almost like a documentary feel of, of 1962 Istanbul. And it's it's gorgeous, gorgeous city. Uh, people just dressed better back then. Great cars, cars, yeah. So that's that's in a in a nut. That's why. But, so so let me let me. My cut. favorite Bond. It's Connery. Uh, he's exactly right. He's he's nailed. You know, he's perfectly in character the whole time. And it's just the whole movie is just these little things. I just love that it's it's just the whole thing is about this spy machine. 
Now, here's what I'll say. I'll, I, here's here's some things I can say about it, and and that explanation makes a lot of sense. But now, when you say it's your favorite, you're not you're not necessarily saying you think it's the best Bond movie, though. Or do you think it is? Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard thing to say. I don't because know. in the it's past you've the you've best. said that like 2001 you believe is the greatest movie ever made. I don't see. That's However, the, it's not your favorite movie, right? I don't know. But best is harder to say. I we'll think have that, to do Kubrick after we're done with Bond. Uh, like for example, Goldfinger, you could easily make a case as yeah. the best Bond film because it's almost the, um, uh, which is next. That's next yeah, week. That's next. But it, you know, not to, so not to go too far into it. But you can say Goldfinger is the best Bond film because it's the prototypical Bond film. It is the like the purest form of yeah. the formula, right? With the uh, the opening, the introduction of the bad guy, the plot, the sort of slow building, the interesting scenes in the first half. And you're, ru- then, you're ruining it for people who haven't seen. Well, it. but then you know, then the cockamamie uh, grand plot at the end. Oh, and of course, and Goldfinger's the one with the car and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you, you, you know, you could say it, that. It, Goldfinger is the first movie that, that had, what, I think what you're saying is it had all of the elements that we have come to expect from any Bond movie. And it was the first one to have all of them. There's no, there's no car in the first two movies. Right. All right. Here's a, here's a, an, an analogy. Um, when I was younger, I, and I don't know what they're called. Somebody could could look them up on Amazon. I don't know. I'm, they're almost certainly out of print. Um, when we were kids, George Lucas was very, very conservative about Star Wars licensing. Like right. there were lots yeah. of toys, but there were no, there was no expanded universe. There were no books. The books and all that crap came, I think, starting in the late '90s. Um, and now I think, you know, if you wanted to read every Star Wars book that had been written, you know, you, you, I don't know, I bet there's 200 books. And it's, you know, uh, and when they first came out, and it was a big deal because he had never licensed any of that. There were comic books. There was a Marvel comic book series for Star Wars, which I, of course, read. And it was kind of terrible. Uh, uh, but there weren't novels. And right. then I bought the first one. I forget who wrote it, but it was it – was, uh, it was really bad. Oh, God, it was just sick, just sickly bad. Um, but there was also um, – I, I shouldn't say there weren't any. There were a few, but they weren't a big deal. There was a series. It was called like the Han Solo Adventures, and I bought this. This was from like the 80s, and it was like a series of like three short stories about Han and Chewie before Star Wars. Mm. Uh, and I loved them. I, I – I, I don't. I hope I have it. I, I should next time I'm at my parents' house, I should look and see if it fits in a box somewhere. Uh, but I absolutely loved it. But one of the reasons that I loved it, I mean, it was. I'm sure it was corny and poorly written. But the gist of it, though, was that Han and Chewie were just smugglers, and they were you know getting into gunfights. And there was another guy who was supposedly like the quickest draw in the galaxy, and he and Han had like a almost like a Wild West shootout. Uh, but there was no. It was just like, you know, they were like, uh, could they get away from the Empire with like a, a, a Millennium Falcon full of, uh, you know, illicit spice or something like that. The galaxy <laughs> wasn't at stake. You know, right. they weren't fighting Darth Vader. It was just they were fighting a couple of stormtroopers or another bounty hunter or something. It's just like the small stakes of criminals. Like, yeah. um, like exactly what you would think would happen before they happened to get caught up in like this central intrigue of the entire galaxy. 
Whereas all of the Star Wars stuff that came in the 90s, right, as far as I could tell, and at least the, the one book that I read, was that repeatedly, novel after novel after novel, uh, Han, Luke, Leia, and Chewbacca, uh, the entire fate of the galaxy rests in their hands. Yeah, how many times right. can you do that? So I, that's why I like From Russia with Love so much, because here's like, what kind of stuff did Bond get into before like the, uh, you know, uh, most important stuff that, you know, like uh, uh, Spectre gets a nuclear weapon in. Uh, right. Uh, stuff like that. Like what, what was more like a typical adventure for James Bond? And here you go. He's after a, a code machine. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a, that's a, a really interesting point that you make, and it really is it really is a a more typical assignment. And he doesn't he doesn't even think it's that big of a deal until kind of the end of the movie. He doesn't really realize what's at stake. Like he's obviously he's he's committed to the mission. He's interested in it, but I don't you know I think I don't think he until until he figures out at the end. How Spectre's all mixed up in this. He doesn't really realize the, the gravity of it, I don't think. Exactly. And that's why I, I think it's a really good story for a Bond movie. Exactly. And that comes across that, that Connery doesn't take it seriously at all. And then he sort of curses himself for not having taken it right. seriously. Right. I've been a fool this whole time, you know? Right. Like when, uh, and it, it's, it, it almost pushes disbelief, but like when he, he's in that mosque and, uh, the Russian agent, uh, who was trying to like intercept the the the, the little gold disc with right. the message? Yeah, uh, is killed by the Spectre guy, right? Grant. Yeah, Bond just you know somebody is obviously there and killed the guy, and Bond's like, well, I don't know who it is, but yeah, somebody got to him there. Right. This sort of happens to me all the time. Right. Right. But I love that that <laughs> that the whole thing is like Bond isn't really taking it all that seriously. Yeah. Like the only thing he really takes seriously up until the end is the actual. Uh, heist in the Russian embassy. Yeah. Right? Like, he's obviously deadly serious right there. Because right. Because there's a bomb going off. Yeah, there's there. a bomb going off. He's got to get the girl out. He's got to get the lector. And- right. And I like the story, I think. And it's actually one of the one of the movies where I, in a, and I've read the novel for it, too, where the movie is actually, I think, more clever than the novel. In the novel, there is no specter. It's, it's, the whole plot is from the Russians. Ah. And the basic idea is that the Russians want to discredit the British Secret Service and Bond in particular because of the previous uh, novel. I forget which one, but that Bond had foiled a plot from Smirsch. Oh, so it's Russian. not it's not a part of Doctor Revenge for Doctor No. It's it's a Smirsch thing. And and Smirsch was real, by the way. Right, right. And it's a Smirsch thing. And it see the problem with the novel is that the story is kind of the same though, where it's uh they they recruit a girl who thinks she's you know working for the Russian you know and they're like look you pretend that uh, you have a crush on this guy and that you want to give him a lector uh, and then we're gonna betray him you know later on um, I, it's hard to believe though because the idea is that the Russians to to do this would actually risk losing the code breaking machine right right give it to him and risk you know just out of the pure confidence that their plot would uh, would work yeah whereas this story with specter in the middle is is i think much more interesting dramatically it reminds me of um uh fistful of dollars or yojimbo 
Uh, right with with the see now we're gonna have to go through those after this with somebody in the middle you know this you know you got the British on one side uh, the Russians on the other and Spectre in the middle right so nobody you, you know the, the protagonists of the movie don't really even understand what's going on no, they Bond, don't. They don't. Bond thinks he's just dealing with this Russian woman yeah. and he's suspicious the whole time that it's a trap but he thinks it's a trap from the Russians you know right. he thinks maybe she's actually going to you know, maybe she really is defecting, but maybe it's a trap. So I'll keep my eyes open for Russians. Um, and the girl thinks she's actually working for the Russians, right? But but I think she, and it's never explicit, but I think you get the sense though that she does fall in love with Bond. And you know, living and working in Russia in the '60s wasn't exactly uh, <laughs> a great life. So she, I think she's kind of hoping, hey, maybe this guy can pull this off, and I'll get to live. I will defect and yeah. live in the West. What I I think you're right about that, and that was something that I I wasn't. I don't think it was intended that she was supposed to seem as duplicitous as she actually did to to a, maybe a more modern audience. Because the whole time you're wondering, okay, she, how much of this is is part of her game? You know, it, does she really love him, or is she just is she playing around? Does she really want to defect? Is she sort of brainwashed? You're not really sure, right? Right. At least I wasn't sure until toward, toward the end of it. You were not in the again in the train when she's sort of when she's drugged. I love how James just sort of casually like sees that she's being drugged, doesn't really think anything of it. It just it just struck me as weird. It's like I don't know. It just it's like like he, seems he let it go. Right. Yeah. He saw that she was being drugged and let it go. Let he it didn't, go. He, for all he knew, she was being poisoned. Right. You know? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, how does he? Does he just assume? Oh, of course, she's. Oh, she's just being drugged. It's yeah. It's certainly not poison. It's just going to make her sleep. Like I think that it's was. Because he's so cold that he because he's suspicious that she might be a double agent. I that guess. she might be in on a trap. He yeah. he never trusts her, and yeah. which I think is very very credible that he never trusts her. Right. Uh that he's, you know, he's perfectly fine to let her be poisoned just to see where this guy's going. <laughs> right. Right. Now, here's a question for you. You remember the, the, the belly dancer scene? Right. With the gypsies. With the gypsies. When he's in the gypsy camp. How, here's a question for you. That belly dancing scene, scene to me, seemed inc- I mean now I know that this is again this movie we have to we have to be clear that this this movie was made in 1963 but how racy was that scene in 1963 was that like over the top racy or was it just a, like cute or or what because like if you go to youtube you see a hundred videos like that coming out every day i mean that that's that are way more racy than that you can't help but see that you know, know what I'm saying? I don't know. Was it racy? Cool. Was it crazy? And then there's the, the cat fight scene. Was that in the novel with the gypsy yeah, girls? Yeah, it was in the novel. It actually was. That's That whole scene, I think, goes straight out of the novel. One thing I learned from this movie that I thought was pretty cool is I now know how to instantaneously defeat anybody wearing a suit coat. All oh. you do, you just grab the shoulders and pull it down. They're completely incapacitated right. after that. They can't break out of it. The button doesn't, you know, will never break. Right. That's because Taylor's back then uh, really sewed those buttons on. Yeah, you just no, that's a great move. I, I love that. You just yank the suit down off the guy's shoulders. He's he just stands there. Then after that, 
and he just right, follows you around. Of, that's straight out of a lot of the the noir movies from the forties, though. Yeah. Too that was like a real typical move in suit days was you <laughs> yank a guy's suit down and pin his arms to his side. Right, it's a great move. And the, the other thing that I thought was weird is this poor guy who's out there waiting to meet. Uh, what was his name? Grant, Grant is that the guy's name? Yeah, Grant is the blonde guy. The, the blonde the guy, Specter. And uh, and and he has his his plan to get them off the train. At that point, is to have his buddy in the flower truck park it on on the the tracks, right? To make and, the train to stop. make the train stop so they can secretly escape and then wait. And this poor guy, you know. Bond comes up to him, you know, the weird thing is he sort of, he, he slams, he slams the guy's hands in the trunk of the car, in the hood of the car, and then throws him in the, in the side. The whole time, the guy's kind of going along for the ride the whole time. Like, he doesn't try to get out of the truck. He doesn't, he doesn't ever try to bail out. I mean, he just sits there. He's sitting there the whole time. And then at some point, he the guy's alone with the, with the, with, with Tanya and, he trusts her with him and then he's just sitting there on the boat and he gets kicked off the boat. He doesn't, I mean, he never, he never makes even the slightest attempt at freedom. Yeah. I think he, I don't know why. He was just too much of a passenger for me. Like in, in a modern movie, you know, that guy himself is going to be kind of a minor spy of some kind. Yeah. Bond didn't even give him the dignity of shooting him. He just, (laughs) just threw him in the lake. Threw him in the lake. Yeah. That was funny. Uh, you know who Grant reminded me of who would play him today or or who could have played him a couple, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago? Rutger Hauer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Total Rutger Hauer type. Kinda yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Yeah, very much so. But I thought I, I really in the beginning of the movie, I love I love the whole uh, the whole the whole chess scene because that's very Bond having the yeah. chess scene and how the guy sets the drink down. Yeah, and and just it's like a moment too long setting it down, and and he sees the note under there. You are re- you know you are requested, and the guy just oh I guess I'll just finish this chess game in one move now since I gotta I gotta <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah, I'm cheating because I I got this I I got the Blu-ray for it, and I watched all the extras, and um, the actual chess game was actually uh, a recreation of a uh, Boris Spassky versus somebody I I never heard of match really? from a couple of years prior but when it was when I think it was when Spassky took the title as like the world's best chess player um, and with a very famous game you know that that move where he put the queen in that position yeah. was uh, uh, like nobody had ever done that before it was a you know recreation of the game so like the the Smirsh or no Spectre guy the chess guy number yeah. three yeah. Uh, was sort of uh, uh, loosely based on Boris Spassky that's interesting. I thought I thought that whole scene was great. I really like that. I really like that scene. I like the way that it that it's played off, and it's it, even even that guy, that character. He's way underused in this movie because he's only in. Yeah. What, he's only in. He's in the chess scene. He's in the scene with number one, and then at the end of the movie, he's in the scene with number one, where where number three. Uh, yeah. Kills him. Yeah. And, he's great. And I mean, even just the little details of his character, like where he's holding the cigarette sort of like backwards in his hand so that the, 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 the lit end is curled under his palm facing him. Yeah. And he kind of flips it back up. Like he, he's it's sort of very, I don't know. He's just a weird, he was a weird character. Yeah. The extras had a, um, the extras had an interview with Terrence Young, the director. He, and he also had directed Dr. No, um, uh, 
talking about the casting of that guy. And this now, now Terrence Young dead. I don't know when he died, but so it's an old interview. It's like from the seventies, right, right. Uh, right? But he said he said he loved that guy. I forget his the actor's name, but that he you know one of the problems with making a, a movie, especially like a movie with a lot of characters, like a Bond movie, is that the audience gets confused about who's who. So he always likes to cast people with very distinctive faces, right? You don't want an average looking guy. Yeah, then you're like, who the hell is that? Like, and he said, now this, and this guy is absolutely perfect. Like you could only put, you put him on for 15 seconds and you're going to remember him two hours later. And he said, and, and he would have cast him just on his face alone, but then to top it off, he had like, like an awesome voice. Yeah. His voice is so creepy. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that like you would have loved to have seen him in, uh, in, in, in more, you would have loved to have have him come back. There's, you know, I mean, I like, like I've said, I, I think there was a lot, but that one fight scene, the fight scene between Grant and Bond at the end, uh, I actually liked that. I thought that was, that was a great fight. Like I found that I was, you know, and a lot of the time when I watch these older movies, movies from the, you know, fifties and sixties, the fighting, it's, it's almost, you know, and of course this was, this was parodied big time in, uh, in the, uh, Ah, oh, the spy who Austin shagged Powers. me and Lost in Powers movies. Yeah, thank you. And uh, and and it's a like, judo chop. You know, it's almost right. that that kind of action scene where like that's the, that and the guy just. But in this one, it seemed like two two hard men, cold hard yeah. men fighting in a very small room. It to me the only the only equi- the equivalent scene to that in modern day that I could think of. And I was immediately, immediately reminded of it when I saw this movie was in, uh, and I, I can't remember whether it was in the second or the third. I think it was the third Jason Bourne movie with Matt Damon, where, uh, Bourne is going after the guy who was another spy type agent like him, who was like living in some little house Yeah, in the kitchen, in the kitchen. And they yeah. have this movie yep. and every single weapon that they have is like an improvised weapon. You know, right. everything is like, Oh, I, he's got a knife. I'm going to grab a magazine and roll it up and bat the knife against, you know, and, and, and they just completely obliterate each other and this apartment in in this, in that scene. And it was this very intense scene. And I'm thinking, man, in 1963, this fight scene would have been really intense. Yeah, the DVD extras it's go into that, and and that they spend a lot of time choreographing it. The the, the director and I forget who else, but the, the you know the Terrence Young spent a lot of time choreographing it. It's a great and, scene. Uh, Still today, it was a great scene. Right, and but that a lot of the cast and crew thought it was way over the line, really? and that audiences would re, would be repulsed by the realistic violence of it. Well, and you know, it, earlier in the it movie, was so you're exactly right that that the re, you know this seems like an actual fist fight to the death. Yeah, uh, was out of place for the time. Well, and it was. I mean, you know, it it really does. You know, earlier in the first scene of the movie where they've got the the fake James Bond wearing the mask, you know, being killed by Grant with the uh, what do they call that? The thing when you when you. The thing he pulls out of his watch. There's a name for it. Oh yeah, what do you what do you, what do you choke people with? Yeah, it's just it's just like like there's a, the name for that for that. Uh, uh, oh, Garrett. Garrett. Yeah. yeah, that's what they're saying in the chat room. Yeah, Garrett. So Grant has a Garrett in his watch that he just pulls out, and he's you know that those things are horrible. I wish those things didn't even exist because that's terrifying. 
the idea of that but uh, you know so so he's 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 there with this fake bond and they actually don't show him killing the fake bond again the violence in in uh, going along with the first one it's sort of off screen and there's not a whole lot of violence in this movie and then there's this scene which is like you described this is it's this very brutal fight scene which includes a killing in it right it is over was over the top i think yeah it's good it's a good film. So the next, hey, one- you know what? Did you notice this? Uh, a couple other little things. Uh, so at the, when you first see Bond, he's on a picnic with the girl from Doctor No. That's right. Yeah, that's his sort of on again, off again love. I interest. don't think that there's ever a recurring. I think she might be the only recurring girl in the whole series. Yeah, there, yeah I didn't girlfriend. notice that the last time I watched this. His, I didn't think about that. I don't girlfriend. think any. I don't think any girl ever returns. His special lady friend. Right. So that sort of earns her like a, a I think a special place. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, from the DVD extras or Blu-ray extras, um, what's her name? Tanya. Uh, Tanya and the two girls in the gypsy cat fight, all three of them yeah. were like in the top 10 for the Miss Universe pageant in like 1961. <laughs> like really? that's what the producers of the movie, <laughs> the producers great. of the movie went to the to uh, the Miss Universe pageant, and they just like signed the hottest women. That is so funny. I was gonna, I was gonna say to to me, the two women who were doing the cat fight, they they seemed more realistic as characters, just in the way that they were. I don't I, like I I don't know what it was. Just they seemed less. Maybe it was because they were playing gypsy girls doing a cat fight, but they seemed more modern than any of the other women in the film. Yeah, and the Blu-ray went into that and said that, uh, you know, and again, I think this goes to Terrence Young and, and how well-directed, you know, that it could have easily been offhand because it, it wasn't central to the plot of the movie. You know, it was clearly, you know, a little bit of a, you know, that whole bond, you know, you yeah. always, you know, hot women in the movie. Right. You know, appeal to that sort of uh, uh, impulse. Uh, but that it wasn't, you know, they took it very seriously and, and that the, the, the two actresses rehearsed the fight for, I think like, I don't know, three weeks, something like that, like full time for three weeks rehearsing and choreographing (laughs) and, uh, you know, to make it look as realistic as possible. I loved that scene too. And I love, of course, and I loved it. I loved that the part of it, the part of it that for me made that whole scene is that there, as these two women are fighting, they fight w- very literally with a cat paw, kind of like a claw, you know, like their hands naturally just go into a claw right. form. And at one point, the one woman is holding back the other woman's arm as the claw coming at her face. Right. And it's like, like you see that in movies now all the time where there's like one guy has a knife and the, and he's trying to stab and like it's getting really close to the other guy's eye, you know, and the other guy's just holding it off. It's like they're doing the same thing, but there's no knife. It's just a claw hand that's the weapon. I just, I love that. That was great. So here's the other thing that I, I only learned from the Blu-ray extras. Uh, I love that guy, Karim. I forget his, his full character's name, but he's the station chief in yeah. Istanbul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's great, right? I mean, he really, he really helps make the movie. But this is really sad. Ends up that the actor, like a couple of weeks into shooting it, uh, just wasn't feeling right and, and just seemed depressed. And so Terrence Young, the director, took him aside and look, what's the problem? And he says, I don't know how to tell you this. I just, I feel like, I just suspect that there's something terribly wrong with me. Uh, and they were like shooting in Istanbul at first, and then they went back to Los Angeles to shoot stuff on sound stages. And when they got to Los Angeles, they they said, "Look, go to a doctor, see what's going on." Ends yeah. up the guy had cancer 
and and was you know had like weeks to live. Oh man, yeah. So he and he, and he said, "What do you want to do? We, you know, we, you know, whatever you want to do, we'll do. If we need to reshoot, if we need to recast the role and reshoot it, you know, it's, we'll, don't worry about it. We'll go back to Istanbul reshooting." He's no. He goes, "This is you know, I want this to be my last movie. I want I like this movie. I want to finish it." So like mo- most of the scenes with him in the movie, he knows he's already knows that he's he's going to die, and. Uh, <laughs> And like the scenes, like where his arm was shot and stuff like that, yeah. that was all like uh, there was a guy. He was so weak at the time he couldn't even stand up. There was like a guy down below, like helping him, like propping him up. No kidding. Yeah, Man. and he died before the movie. So the, and they redid the whole schedule so they could shoot all of his scenes first. They they just scrapped the whole production schedule and said get every scene where he's in it and we'll shoot it first. Uh. uh and like one of the last things that they shot was the scene where he goes into the room on the train and, you know, there's the the Russian security guy. Right. And he sits down with him and he's like, let me tell you about my, I've lived a long life. Right. Let me you tell know? you about uh, it. And you, if you know that the guy, the actual actor was, was you know, weeks away from dying, uh, uh, it, 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 it's yeah. it really sort of like a, a a very touching moment, yeah. you know, because it's sort of like him, you know, resigned that he uh, he knows his time is gone. Wow, it's kind of creepy. Oh, one more thing too was uh, a couple of details. I noticed in the credits for Ernst Blofeld, he was the actor who played Blofeld. It was just listed as a question. question mark. Yeah, yeah. You know who it was? Um, oh man. The voice, I forget who the voice was. The voice was not the guy in the thing, but the guy, the, you know, the actual guy whose hands you saw with the cat was actually the actor who played the uh, the geologist in Dr. No. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And the voice was just somebody else. But the voice was awesome. I kind That's another thing I like about this movie. I like the way that like Blofeld was sort of... Uh, uh, a MacGuffin character that it wasn't that yeah. Bond was going after Blofeld. He was just a guy manipulating things behind the scenes, you know, that no, Bond they, was, and he was unseen for at least another, I know he wasn't, he still unseen in Goldfinger, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe one more movie after that. Yeah, I think so. And then they was, started having different actors doing them. Right. And I think it went downhill from there. I think once they started showing him, it, 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 it wasn't as awesome. What was, uh, what was the guy in, uh, they, they they totally copied the whole. I mean, all of this was was parried in, in in so many different movies. But Inspector Gadget had the guy with the with the cat, right? Oh, right, right. Was right. it Doctor Claw or something? Yeah, like Doctor Claw with the white cat, right? That he would abuse as he was, you know, when his plots would get foiled, you'd hear the cat getting pummeled. Right. There's something about a bad guy whose face you don't know, right? Yeah. And it's you know, I mean, it, Bond didn't invent it, but it's you know, it's great. Just like they never should have taken the helmet off Darth Vader. At the end of, of the em, end of Empire? Right. Okay, so the, the, I know this is a whole different tangent that we really don't have time for, but I I have been showing uh, my son, three years old, I've been showing him some of Empire. Not the whole thing. He's not ready to sit down and see the whole thing. His favorite, he loves the AT-ATs though. And we, like I told you, we have this Star Wars book that I would pull out uh, that that I would show him pictures of, and he was very interested. The two things that he's very interested in are the adats and the scenes with Yoda riding on Luke's back while he's doing the training. 
And I wanted to ask you this as a, as a, a father of a son who I think is, is uh, what is he like six or seven now? Seven. Okay. So he's like twice my boy's age. At what point did, do, do you show them the star Wars? Can you really sit down so that they will, I know every kid's different, but what, at what point can I sit him down and say, I'm going to not going to show you a, a cool scene with ad ads walking around, but we're like, sit down and let's watch this movie together because I don't want to show them the little bits and pieces. It'll ruin the, the movie for him. So I'm not going to yeah. do that anymore. I think three, I think you could show them at three. Okay. But you got to start with the first. Yeah. Films. Yeah. Yeah. He just wanted to see those two really bad. Yeah. Okay, so for next week, the homework assignment is Goldfinger. Goldfinger. And we'll have a link to it if you want to, uh, you know, go to the show notes. There'll be a link there for it that if you buy it, we'll get, we'll get something. I don't know. How about, how about the, the, uh, with the tape that Bond made. Oh, yeah. With Tanya. Yeah. Where it was like to sort of prove that she really was, she knew what the hell the lecture was. And then you cut back to, London, where they're listening to the tape, it's like all the top guys in <laughs> right, intelligence, right. and it gets to the point where he, Bond is. She's like asking him about. I forget what she, she was asking him about, but Bond goes once, once. Well, once when I was with M in Tokyo, and M immediately shuts off the tape yeah. and tells Money Penny to get out of there. Yeah, you need like isn't that great? See, that's the little thing I love about that movie is that's the idea, the idea of like a younger Bond and M in Tokyo, and they like tied one on. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Like really tied one on and, uh, you know, got into some carousing. Isn't that great? Because <laughs> M is so tightly wound yeah. in, in all of the movies. Yeah. Like it's so great and to And they've imagine. got this history, you know. It's great stuff. Oh, man. All right. See you next week. All right.